Welcome back for another week of Last Ones at the Bar. We're here to supply you with another weekly episode of Boxing Talk. My name is Wilton Henry, and I'm accompanied by Lavelle Jackson and Daniel Lee. This week, we got a few topics um, that we're going to discuss. Again, it should be a short episode. Um, we missed the week last week. So, I mean, on that note, you fellas might want to update the people on how you've been doing these past couple of weeks since we missed last week's um, episode. What you fellas been up to? Everything is everything for me. Um, same old here, just trying to just trying to stay in shape. Um, it, it, it's funny though, because you know we talk about we talk about the, like the you know all of us are in the gym in some capacity, but uh, I got a and I, I get massages once a month. I got a very humbling one this past week. Cause my body was just going through it, and I had one booked for next week, and it couldn't wait. And so I just found somebody like you know random off of Yelp, and she was she was basically just like, "What you been doing to yourself?" <laughs> basically, so you know apparently I haven't been stretching enough, and I stretched, but I haven't been stretching enough, and I need to take more Epsom salt baths and stuff. So all that to say, man, been trying to work on how to take care of myself better. Yeah, I'm going to have to take some cues from you, Danny, and, you know, learn how to take care of myself better, you know. But I've been, you know, staying active. I need to stretch more. <laughs> but I've been pretty busy, you know. I I think it's this weekend giving me an extra day, you know, to, to uh, mentally rest and be back on the grind. So things been going well. Oh, that's what's up. Yeah, speaking of that, you know, um, well, I'll get to that part, what you're talking about as far as the sizes. But for me, last week, you know, I was out of town. I um, attended my friend's funeral uh, that I was discussing on the um, last episode before we parted. Um, so, you know, that was the sad part about, you know, going back home. But also it was a silver lining within that trip because I had a chance to see a lot of people I hadn't seen us in a long time. We had a chance to hang out. And it was good to see the growth of, some close friends that I have back home in Milwaukee and hopefully we can continue those relationships moving forward. And we have, you know what I mean? We've been texting each other and it's just been good to, you know, reconnect as far as the massages are concerned. See y'all fellas not as old as I am. See, I'm to the point now, like, <laughs> you know, I get a good workout in and that hip is just not acting right. You know what I'm saying? So I might be hobbled for about two or three days. You know what I mean? So what I did was I invested in a massager. Um, and so it actually arrived yesterday. And so I was watching some NBA action last night and I was just letting that bad boy, you know, go through my joints and muscles and stuff like that. So, you know, you may not be to the point right now where you can use one of those things, but in the future, think about investing in one of those because those, you know, work, work miracles. You know what I mean? No, I was gonna say, yeah, I was actually looking at one of those because I was at the running store maybe a few weeks ago and they, they had them out there and I was like, yeah, this is something I could use. Yeah, some of like you got the huge ones. I've seen guys like at the gym, but they be lifting real heavy. And then after they finish up, they'll go ahead and have a massage on them. But I got one that's much smaller. And you can get it off Amazon. If you look up, you just put in type in massager, it'll be mm -hmm. like forty nine ninety nine and that boy bad boy works because you can put it all, you know legs you can put it on your neck you know what i mean so you know consider it let's go ahead and start talking about what it is that we came here for and so last night you had two you know pretty big fight card but the one on the zone you had my main man devin haney versus jorge linares what did you think about that matchup last night uh devin haney he came to this fight 25 and, and zero 15 knockouts uh He's about five foot nine, you know, uh, against Jorge Linares, who uh, coming in this fight forty seven and five, with uh, 20, 29 knockouts. Uh, Linares is about the same height as, as uh, Haney, give or take, uh, an inch. Um, Haney coming off the win against uh, Eurokis, uh Gamboa. Uh, Linares is is more a a veteran. Uh, he has fights with. Um, Anthony Krola, uh, Antonio DeMarco, and he has a loss to Lomachenko where he did well in spots. So uh, this was an interesting fight. I was very impressed with Devin Haney, how he started the fight. He was very jab heavy. His jab was 
accurate. Uh, he was starting every combination off with the jab, uh, and his combinations were working. He was um, lighting uh, Lenores up for the first half of the fight. Now, Devin Haney, he got a lot of flack for, you know, not having power, but you can only do what you can do. And I was impressed with how he was doing it, how he was outboxing Lenores, because this is the same Lenores that, you know, that would give a lot of the top guys a lot of trouble. Even if he, even if he gets stopped, he gives a lot of guys trouble. Uh, with Devin Haney, Devin showed a lot of class in what he was doing, working that distance. Uh, he wouldn't let Lenores get off in mid-range. He was doing a great job. Uh, Lenores tried to, to get more into the fight in the fourth, uh, but Haney was still, you know, uh, edging him up until, I would say, the second half where Haney got a little more aggressive, he started fighting a, a more aggressive fight with his combinations. And it, it seemed like he was uh, trying to stop Lenores. And I'm not I'm not sure whether that was a good, bad, good strategy or a bad strategy, because at this point, Haney, he, he seems to have a chip on his shoulder where he has to. He's trying to prove that he can stop these guys, and it, it hasn't been working out for him. And he's been getting a lot of criticism, which I think is unfair because you know fighters are who they are. Um, but uh, Lenares uh, ended up catching Haney with a, a, a nice combination at the end of, the, of round ten. Uh, Haney was stumbled a little bit, and it was interesting how Haney fought rounds uh, eleven and twelve. He was holding a lot. Um, he, he, he wasn't as aggressive. It, it seemed like he was still kind of buzzed from that shot for the last two rounds. And I think that's kind of concerning. But at the same time, I, it helps him because more guys would probably want to fight him after this. And, you know, uh, people can say whether he was hurt or not. But at the same time, I was, I was impressed that, you know, if he, if he was hurt, he, he, didn't, he didn't allow himself to get more hurt or get dropped. I mean, this wasn't like this is the same Lenares that put Lomachenko down, you know, and he wasn't able to put Devin Haney down. And and I I, I, I kind of didn't like how Haney fought those last two rounds because he did kind of coast it. And had this been a closer fight, he would have gave up that fight. But I had him winning about uh, eight rounds to four. I could see the case for a seven to three. But like I said, had, had Lenares won a couple more early rounds, he would have been really in this fight. This would have been a very, very close fight because of uh, Haney's coasting. Now, where Haney goes from here, where I think this fight was good, is more guys are going to look at him and and think, hmm, if Lenares can hurt him, maybe I can too. And you have guys, you know, like a, a, a uh, Ryan Garcia or a Tank or Jeff uh, Fimo Lopez is probably like, yeah, maybe I should get this fight now. Maybe we should get in the ring with Haney now. And I think that works in Haney's favor because – just because someone may not have, you know, finishing type power, it doesn't mean they don't have power, and it doesn't mean that they can't win in other ways. Uh, the only person that I think would concern me getting in the ring with Haney, would concern me with, with uh, that I wouldn't favor Haney against, is really uh, Stevenson, you know. Um, but hats off to, to Devin Haney, you know. Um, he really did a good job. I was impressed with him. Uh I don't, he don't need to listen to the haters about it. You know, he, he did a great job. Again, this guy is, is is very, very young, and he's still developing, and he can only do better from here. Yeah, shout out to The Zone. The Zone really has been the best network, you know, when it comes to showcasing some of these matches um, as of late. And I was totally um, wrong when I was thinking about them probably this past summer I was looking at the zone and some of the matches that they were putting together. I thought they was, they were going to be um, out of business within the next two, three years, but they kind of actually saving the sport. So shout out to them first and foremost. And then as far as the fight is concerned, um, I thought Lenares was getting all class for like the first nine and a half rounds or maybe eight and a half rounds because he did clip Haney with the uppercut. Um, a little bit in that ninth round, but I thought Haney still won the round, so he was getting outclassed. Matter of fact, I've never seen Haney, not Haney, I've never seen Lenares get outclassed like that. Every time I've seen Lenares, he's been like either beating somebody or it's been real close. It wasn't that big of a gap in terms of skill, you know what I mean? So, like I said, I was impressed with Haney's performance and. 
the ninth, I mean, the 10th round, it kind of mars the whole performance. But I was still impressed. But I'm also happy that he had an opportunity to go through that adversity. And so I think he'll be better off moving forward because now he knows, you know, that he can take those shots, you know, and then he'll know what to do moving forward if that situation happens again. So I thought it was a good win for the young man. You know, I thought it was a good performance by the young man. But then also shout out to Linares, man. That man always comes in shape. He always comes ready to fight. And, you know, he's he's a highly skilled guy. And he'll get anybody, anybody on earth that's near his weight class. He's going to give them fits. You know, so I, I thought that was an impressive victory by Haney. Um, now, as far as him being aggressive, I thought that that was a smart move on his part because if he had not done that and he was at the tail end of more of those shots from Lenares, Lenares had to think a lot because he was throwing leather at him. And so he just couldn't get his stuff off like he wanted to. And you saw like when he had the opportunity just to set his feet and just throw punches, then <laughs> you saw what happened in, in that that round and a couple other times when he caught Haney. So I thought that that was a smart move to, you know, play the aggressive role. Now, um, it's a couple things um, else that I want to say, and that is Lenars. I thought that he probably, he was thinking that Haney was going to take away the right hand early. So he was trying to throw a lot of lefts. And I thought that he may have outthought himself. He should have just did what he's done throughout the course of his career and at some point that right hand would go ahead and catch up to Haney. Now it may have played out that way because Haney was taking away the left hand knowing that he was going to try to catch him with the left hand because he he was sensing that. And maybe that's why he got caught. I don't know. But I thought that he should have just, you know, came with what got him there um, as opposed to trying to be a little too cute, you know, for uh, my liking. And then um, the other thing that I was going to say is that Haney is really good. He's slippery. Like, he's going to give those dudes some trouble, man. Like, whoever he faces, he's going to give them trouble because defensively, he's just so aware. He's he's just so elusive. And it's like a natural thing that he has. Like, it's going to be tough to get to him, and it's going to get frustrating for anybody who's going to fight him, you know, in the ring. Like, they may be able to catch him, and they may look at it where, okay, Linares, but Linares is a talented offensive dude and he knows how to set up his punches those younger guys don't have that capability so um they may be thinking maybe fool's gold to think okay i tap him on the chin and that's that might be the way that i'm gonna get him out of there but also <laughs> you might end up you know getting out class like lenaris that's i think that that would be the most likely outcome for most of those guys that he had faced but i was t- i was really impressed moving forward Hopefully, like you say, Bill, some guys think that it's a chink in his armor. Maybe he got a weak chin or something like that, and they may be able to exploit that, so they'll be willing to get in the ring with them. But that's, to me, out of the young guys, that's the most impressive victory that any of those guys has had. So, you know, shout out to Devin the Dream, Haney, and shout out to Lenares for being a consummate pro. Yes, sir. Much respect to both of those fighters. It was it was a heck of a fight. Um I personally scored at 117. I personally scored at 117, 110 in favor of Haney. Um, I felt like rounds four and nine could have almost went either way, but I I gave I gave Haney four, Lenares nine. I gave Lenares rounds ten and eleven. Um, and although he had a point deducted in round twelve, I gave him round twelve too. So I scored that one a nine nine actually. I'm not going to say too much more because y'all already said most of what there is to say. But, but you know, again, I thought Haney looked very sharp. Done some good head movement and footwork. He he did some solid work to the body. He stood tall in the pocket. And he really had a good showing for himself, you know. Um, CompuBox numbers had it. Haney landed 215 shots out of 675. Out of those 215, 79 of them were jabs. Uh, 60 were body shots. His jab was just, uh, he was just sticking that jab. And he he had a lot of success when he would do that, uh, throw the jab to the head and then throw it down to the body. Um, I, I liked what he was doing with that. Linares uh, landed 116 out of 620. After Henny got rocked in the 10th round, um, I got real nervous for him. I'm not going to lie to you. The way he stumbled back to that to that corner, 
And uh, I wasn't sure if he was gonna get stopped. Like I was like, my, my heart was literally beating for him because I was, you know, like I I was I was kind of neutral, but I I, I was like, you know, Handy's the kind of guy you want to root for at the same time. And I think he has a bright future in the sport. So I started to get nervous. And you know, he did what he had to do to survive those. But I gave Lenard's rounds ten and eleven. And um, you know, Handy did a lot of clinching, and I was wondering if if Lenard's was gonna try, try to throw some feints. And catch him while he was coming in for the clinch with, with with that short jab or maybe a short, I mean, with a short hook or a short uppercut, um, you know. But again, much respect to both fighters. Uh, Linares has nothing to be ashamed of. He was just sitting there with the better fighter that night, you know. That's all it comes down to. Um, but at thirty five, like I don't think Linares is done by any means because he's going to give any he's going to give any fighter, elite fighter, hell to some degree, and in, in that lightweight division. I also wanted to note that. Um, <clears throat> They said that that he was in his corner in the last fight as well, but I noticed Ben Davis is in the corner. He was a assistant trainer, and I think that you know, respect to Dad as well because uh, Devin Haney Senior. Um, they were saying that he basically fired himself when he got to a certain point and allowed his son to choose to hire him again or choose what's best for his career in general. And so, like he, he you know, Devin Haney ended up hiring his dad again as a head trainer. But I know, you know, I, I saw Ben Davidson there as an assistant, and I, I've noticed that Haney has been fighting better in general as well. And so, like, you know, Eddie Reynoso basically has trained on the year on lock, but, but Ben Davidson, between his work with Luke Taylor and the way he's kind of, you know, he helped Fury come back from, you know, her, her depression and come back physically, and, you know, him helping on Haney, you know, Davidson has a bright future in the sport as a trainer. He's only 28. You know what I mean? So I, I wanted, you know, that to be a shout out there. Um, did you guys have anything else on, on the fight itself? No, sir. Cool. So, Vel, you already said a little bit about this. I don't know if you have anything else to add, but, you know, um, this was Haney's first fight of 2021. It's reasonable to assume he's going to fight again sometime November or December, maybe. Uh, where do you guys think he goes from here immediately and in the, in the kind of the near future? Well, I would hope that if um, T.O. is successful in his um, next defense, that they will go ahead and fight for the undisputed, um, the real undisputed at lightweight. That's what I'm hoping. But after that performance, it's hard to say. You know what I mean? I don't know what Ryan, Ryan doesn't seem like that's high on his priority list for him to fight Devin. So I really don't know. Those guys don't really haven't shown really that much interest in taking on Devin, but that's what I would like to see. I would like to see those top guys start to tangle with one another. If he can't get one of those guys, I mean, he's just going to have to, you know, take care of some mandatories, but I don't know. I don't know anybody that has shown like the willingness to want to fight Devin, but as you stated, after he was rocked at the end of that round, and how he kind of, you know, was trying to clinch a lot in the 11th and 12th rounds, people may think that they can take advantage of him, especially, like, in his next fight, you know, try to have him rekindle some of those memories that he had when he was hurt. But, again, that could be fool's goal because, again, you go through something like that. It wasn't like he was stopped. It was just he went through a situation, went through some adversity, overcame that adversity, and so that may make him – even more motivated in his next fight. So it's hard to say, you know, how things are going to play out moving forward. But I would think that he'll probably, I mean, it's a lot of good fighters that lightweight to choose from. So probably a mandatory I see next for uh, Devin Petrine. Hey? I'm basically going to say the same thing you said, just a little bit more long with it, probably. Um, keeping it a stat between. Matter of fact, in general, in the lightweight class in general, I was going to say between all the young fighters, but in general, Haney is probably the most avoided fighter in that division. And so in terms of where he goes next, I, I hate to say it, but it's not really up to him. I mean, he's called out Tank up to this point. He's called out Garcia. He's called out He's called out Lopez. None of them have really bid on that. Tank moved down a weight class, and then he's now he's moving up to an entirely different weight class. So he's moving down from 130 to 140. And so, um, and, and after this fight, I don't, I don't see Mayweather letting him come close to, to Haney. Um, Garcia, you know, he, 
Last night he said he would have slept Haney, which is all well and good, but fact of the matter is he's out indefinitely and we'll probably take a tune-up before he fights elite competition again. And Garcia was supposed to be Haney's mandatory. Um, however, he did not take the, he he did not take that shot. He was and then he was gonna fight Tank. You know, he was talking about fighting Tank, and then he was gonna fight Pacquiao, and then he was gonna fight Fortuna for the interim belt. And now that's not gonna happen. So assuming Lopez wins, up to this point, he seems to prefer the unified the undisputed champ of the 140 pound division, which is Josh Taylor. Um, and it doesn't really WBC gave him that that little uh, that little belt with fake certificate. Um, so now he can say he has a WBC belt and can call himself kind of like the unofficial undisputed. It's worth mentioning that there might also be some carryover beat in a match room after that whole uh, the Fury and Joshua falling out. And hopefully that wouldn't get in the way of them doing business in the future. In the near future, you know, but it's still boxing. He could possibly fight Loma, assuming he wins. But Loma's Loma's avoided him before. Uh, when Haney was Loma's mandatory, he vacated that belt. And Loma is top rank, you know. And so, you know, we go back to that. We're back at that that square. So, you know, if I were given a choice, I, I would want to see him fight Lopez so we can get a real undisputed champion at the division. And then that Garcia fight would be exciting. Um, but the reality of it is, the more likely scenario is if, if that doesn't get figured out uh, before then, um, Javier Fortuna and Jojo Diaz, that winner that's, that's coming up in July, is mandatory. And so that's probably the most likely scenario, I'm thinking. Bill, you already spoke on it. Did you have anything else to add? Uh, sure. Um, yeah, yeah. I agree with all you guys that, that he <laughs> – Haney is, it was always in a weird spot where he was going to be avoided. <laughs> but, at, but at the same time, I think that um, what they saw in the 10th round would give them, especially those with power, saying, maybe if I catch this guy, I can stop him. I can see someone like Teofimo Lopez uh, licking his chops now. Uh, or someone like Tank, who has legitimate power, saying, hey, if he got him, if the Nurez you know, buzz Haney like this, I know I can stop him. Plus, you know, they have some history. Um, Tank has been in the ring with Haney, so you know, he knows what Haney brings to the table. But a lot of a lot of what happens, I think, is dependent on what happens with... Uh, I, I, as you said, Danny, I don't think it's really up to him. It's, it's really up to how what happens with the, the fighters between 135 and 140. And what I mean by that is you have uh, Josh Taylor, who was on a on a roll, he's the guy. He's the man at 140, and you have someone like uh, Tiafimo Lopez looking to, you know, man, maybe I can move up and fight at Josh Taylor. And then you have the uh, tank at, you know, having tanking a, a title at 140. Well, fighting for a title at 140 against Barrios, and I think that uh, if if he wins that fight. Um, if he wins that fight, that would put him on a. He'll probably be on a, tank. Would be on a level where he probably wouldn't necessarily take the tank, take the uh, Haney fight. But also, I think if he loses, he's more likely to take that uh, Devin Haney fight if he loses against Barrios and moves down back down to one thirty-five. So a lot of it's sad to say, but a lot of Devin Haney's future is based off of what happens between these other guys and other fighters. It's almost like he gets the, the you know the last food, you know. But I think. You know, he's talented, and he, he's going to have his time. Only thing I had, and that's why I said those guys haven't shown a willingness to want to fight him. The other thing is, and when I say it's fools go for some of those guys, if they think that they can capitalize on what they saw in the 10th round, those guys don't have – now, they're talented, but they're still green. So when you're in there with somebody as slippery as a Devin Haney, I can see them just getting totally frustrated. Just imagine them in that fight for that amount of rounds and they are not able to get off on Haney. It's just the fact that Lenares is a consummate professional. So he'll take all of that and still try to, you know, set his opponent up and still have the composure to be able to do that because he's a consummate professional. Those guys don't. I've seen fights where Haney, not Haney, but Tank, he's like just totally frustrated, but against the opponent that he's facing, he's able to land something to switch things up. 
but they're not the caliber of fighter as a Devin Haney. And Devin Haney will seize on that and understand that he's frustrating those dudes, and he'll even make it even worse, just little flashy stuff that he does where it it will be a totally different ball game if they think and that they're just going to get off on him like that because he's going to be getting off on them, and they're going to be getting hit a lot more than they typically get hit if they fight somebody as highly skilled as Devin Haney. I didn't even mention Tank when I was talking before because Tank totally hasn't shown any type of willingness to take on Devin Haney. He's been at 130. Instead of coming up to 135, he jumped to 140. So that already lets me know his actions is telling me that he doesn't want smoke, not just with Haney, but with any of those guys. Now, moving along, uh, we had another fight uh, yesterday uh, about between the Filipino Flash, Nonito Donaire, versus Nadine Ubali. Um, you you check that fight out? What you think? So I was live tweeting the Haney Linares fight for most of this fight. So I wasn't able to kind of like study it, but I, I'll, I'll say what I saw. Um, you know, first of all, Donaire is now 41 and 6 with 27 knockouts. Ubali's now 17 and 1 as of last night and with, with 12 knockouts. Now, uh, you know, from what I saw, the first round started out as a feeling out round with Ubali being a little bit more aggressive. Um, but Donaire stayed composed. Now, in the second and third round, Donaire started to find success with both the counter right and the counter left hooks, respectively. Um, in that third round, he scored two knockdowns. Then with a minute and 52 seconds left in the fourth, he got the stoppage. Now, we got to put some respect on my guy's name. You know, with this win he, at the age 38, he broke his own record as the oldest bantamweight champion in history. He's now the three-time champ at the division, and he's now just the 11th fighter all time to win a world championship in three different decades. Now, uh, he said he really wants to build himself up for that uh, that Inoue rematch. And, and, you know, he gave him hell in that first fight. So I, I would be excited. That I think that fight's going to be, if, if that happens, that's going to be even a bigger fight than it was before. And it's gonna we, got, we will have a new Undisputed at, at 118. So uh, I hope that's the way, way things shake out. Yeah, that was a great big breakdown, Danny. Um I've been a big fan of Donaire ever since he knocked out Victor Chinian. Uh But, I mean, let's be real. I mean, he's 38 years. That's, that's ancient. And he moved down two weight classes. He won titles at, at uh, flyweight, uh, super flyweight, then bantamweight. He, he moved up to super bantamweight. Of course, he, he lost to Grandma Rigandau. Then he moved up to featherweight, which is pretty much above his ceiling. But able to have some competitive fights over there until he got – pretty much beat down by uh, Nicholas Walters. Then he started trying to inch down back in weight, and now he's back at bantamweight. Um, but I was I was nervous for this fight. You know, Ubali is a little younger. You know, he's a he's a young champion. And um, down there, even though he had that great fight with um, Anui, it was looked at as his, his last stand, what have you. You know, he's an aging fighter. It's probably the last great performance they have. You know, but the first thing I did notice, even before this fight, even in the faceoff, was the size difference, and, I, and, that, and that gives a lot of credit to, to why um, Donaire decided to go back down to bantamweight. Because when you look at him, comparison to Ubali, he like he was huge. You know, so it was already already a size advantage. You can see Donaire use that, use his length and use his you know strength, even though it looked like Ubali was probably seemed to be. Um, you know, of course, the young, the youthful guy, and I still was nervous. I can see the pressure that Donaire is putting on him, his presence. He had a physical presence. As soon as he started catching Ubali, uh, even though that, that that first knockdown, he wasn't, like, severely hurt, I had a feeling right after that, like, he's not going to make it. You know, I just knew it. After the second knock, knockout, which is kind of uh, after the bail, uh, in, in the second round, I, I was like, this fight is not going to distance. And uh, shout out, you know, props to Neil Donaire. I'm a big fan. Um, but I, I do think it's misguided when they say that, you know, he's the oldest uh, Bantamweight champion, champion and he's broke his own record because there's another Bantamweight champion who is older than he is, and it's the, that's the guy who beat him, who, which is Rigondeaux. And, and it was interesting how they didn't want to mention his name a lot. 
because now, you know, down there is, you know, he, this is, you, you, we can't blame his own top rank now because they're both PBC fighters. And PBC seemed to be more interested in building Donaire against Anui than, you know, Rigandau. If if I were was uh, Donaire, I would try to take that fight with Rigo. Even if Rigandau is going to beat him, I would take that fight. And who knows? Rigandau is 40. So I think that's an interesting fight for him. Uh, just as a, a you know, the 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 pride of a fighter, but I don't blame him if he takes that new fight because it's you know it's a bigger money fight you know, at the same time. Anything else you guys want to add? Yeah, let me add in a, a few things if you don't mind, kind sir. <laughs> you know, um, only few things I, I say is this: if I was, um, a, well, let me let me go back to this. I, I just want to show respect gratitude towards Nanito for being another consummate professional just like Lenars always comes in the shape always comes ready to fight you know so you're not going to see a Nanito Donaire fight when he's not you know in shape and ready to go so I just want to shout out him for that um, because that's not always the case you know to be a professional as long as he's been and to be able to fight at that level for so long going into the fight I didn't necessarily even think that I didn't know his opponent. Um, and I just assumed that he was going to win. And yesterday I really didn't see the fight um, outside of the round in which he knocked him out. Um, another thing that I want to mention is Nonito always showed that power though. Like I remember him, you know, coming on the scene when I first saw him was against Victor Darchinian and he laid Darchinian out and Darchinian was, was, was a wrecking ball. Like he was going through, some of those fighters, you know, at the lower weight classes until he ran against Donito. And, and after that, I remember seeing him fight against Fernando Montiel. And, I mean, if you guys haven't seen that fight, I want to say it was like 2011-ish. He knocked him out in the second round. And Montiel was a good fighter, a really, really good fighter. He hit the man so hard that he left a dent in his head. Like he left a dent like right there where your temple is, and it was scary. That's how bad um, it was. But you know, he always had that, that power. Uh, last thing that I will say about uh, Nonito is take the underweight fight, bro, and let the chips fall where they may. If you go ahead and win that fight, you know, then you might. I mean, you'll have some more fights left, and then those going to be big fights. Fighting Arigo. I think you have a chance from a standpoint Rigo fights so infrequent that he may not be the same Rigo. But just them, the way both of those guys fight, Rigo has a radar on that left hand. And he, I think that would spell trouble for Nanito. And he would end up going out, you know, like with a sour taste. I know, I know, like, in your heart, you might want to avenge that loss, but the way they have things set up, they're kind of ignoring Rico as if that fight never happened. <laughs> you know what I mean? So you would be looked at in more of a high regard because Nue is one of the top five pound-for-pound fighters in the world. Some people have him as high as number two and number three. So that would probably be, be the wisest decision because you're making more money. And also, if you end up getting that victory, how you'll be looked at at the tail end of your career. You'd, you'd be on some all-time great type stuff if you end up beating somebody the caliber of a new way at this stage of his, of his career. But I just want to say again, shout out to Nonito for being such a consummate professional, always ready to fight, and good luck in the future. Yeah, shout out to Don there. Classy guy, you know, I follow him on social media. So, you know, very positive guy. Yeah, he's one of those guys I want to see in his career on a high note. You know, so props to him. So moving along, um, we had a unification bout uh, last week at uh, Light Welterweight against Josh Taylor and uh, Jose Ramirez, where Taylor won a unanimous decision over uh, Ramirez. Um, that said, uh, he has a lot of options. What, where do you think he goes from here? Uh, what do you guys think? So being the undisputed champion of a weight class, 
in the modern boxing era is interesting because, you know, you can just get too caught up in the belts and wind up just facing mandatories, which may not be the best for your career. To be fair, I don't really see this happening for Taylor. Um, the other option is to go for the money fights, which creates the biggest degree of flexibility. So, you know, in Taylor's case, his biggest potential fights are currently outside of his weight class. Um, you got Teofimo Lopez. We talked about him earlier. He's, he had previously talked about moving up to fight the winner of the fight, which was Taylor. And assuming he takes care of business against his mandatory, that fight might still be there. And they're both top ranked, so it would be an easy fight to set up for the end of the year. Another option that I don't see a lot of people talking about is if he wanted to dare to be great and move up to welterweight. Um, well, in general, but specifically in this instance, Terrence Crawford may be a potential option. I honestly don't like this fight very much for either of them. Um, but it's another fight that would be easy to make because they're both in top rank. I don't like the fight for Taylor because he's still comparatively inexperienced as a pro, and it's a tough test at welterweight. Um, I don't like it for Crawford because even if he does win, it doesn't really do anything for him except get from a name to fight this year. Um, you know, Crawford wins, the talk's going to be, well, Taylor just moved up, or uh, he still hasn't beat anybody at 147, like a name at, at welterweight. So in the interim, um, you know, maybe Taylor could just ride out the rest of the year by satisfying a mandatory, then see how things shake out. Uh, the only other options I see would be for him to give some of the guys he already beat a rematch, like Progray. But there's not, you know, there, there's a lot of been there, done that energy with him, and I'm not sure that's the best for his career. That's a good analysis. I think Taylor does have a lot of options, though. They may not be class, but I do think uh, if, like, if he's going to fight a TFMO Lopez, I think Lopez will more likely move up to 140 and try to get that chip. Uh, but I th- what I think is what I think is likely going to happen that hasn't been mentioned is I do think he may be looking at the winner of Barrios uh, versus Tank, which is for a WBA title. Now I'm not going to get into which title it is because that that's all confusing to me because you know there's a unified champion and then there's other belts out there. But Mario Barrios and Javante Tank D- Tank Davis are uh, shot title, you know and now, it's interesting what would happen between those two because if Tank wins, I'm not sure if they will put Tank in there with Josh Taylor. I think Tank will probably – his people will probably use that as a bargaining chip and have him move back down and start getting fights where he, you know, get more uh, money for, you know, whatever he's doing. I, if, if, if Tank – if it wasn't willing to put Tank in there with a, a Devin Haney or, you know, a Tiafimo Lopez, I don't think they're going to put him in there with Josh Taylor either, even if he wins against uh, Berrios. I think uh, if Berrios wins, I think Josh Taylor versus Mario, uh, Mario Berrios is more like a, a, a certainty. You know, it, it's definitely, it's probably going to happen next if he beats uh, Tank Davis. Yeah, but Josh Taylor, he has a lot of options. Um, yeah, like you like you said, uh, Daniel, I don't like that Crawford fight for either of them. Uh, Taylor hasn't, even though he's a big uh, light a big light welterweight, uh, he hasn't shown uh, any signs that he's drained or he, that he's draining to make 140. And normally guys who who I think will be more suited to 147, who fight at 140, would be um, probably be even bigger than Josh Taylor. I, I, th- I think it'll be guys who really, really struggling to make that 140. And Josh Taylor, while he's a big guy at 140, I don't think he struggles to make 140. He's more so along the lines of uh, where Danny Garcia was, where I, Danny Garcia went to 147 looking for big fights. Yeah, he got the big fights, but he was never as successful at 140 because um, I thought he was more suited to 140. Um, not to say he's a small 147 pounder, but I think he's more suited. It, it, it's more of an advantage for him to be at 140. Um, you know, where I look at it is like this, and I don't want to, you know, belabor what we're talking about because you guys made pretty much all of the points, but. Um, what I will say is this, is that as far as where he goes from here, his option, you mentioned it. It looks like they're going to go in the route of seeking out the Crawford fight. And so, um, you know, it is what it is. I mean, Crawford, I mean, who's Crawford going to fight? I don't like he's going to fight Porter. He's not, I mean, Pacquiao and 
Spence are already set to fight. Um, and it doesn't look like he's interested in fighting like a Thurman or a Ugas or anything like that. So what are his options? So I think that that would probably be right up both of them. Alley, he wants to move up. He's saying that he can beat Crawford. I don't necessarily think that he would, but if that's what he wants to do, he earned the right by being an undisputed champ. You know, you pretty much clean out your division. So, you know, why not? You know, I can see that. Um, as far as Tio, I think Tio probably would want to fight somebody like Taylor. Uh, Tio probably would, as opposed to, you know, because that he can fight somebody like a Taylor, win, lose, or draw. He can always then come back to fight those other guys. I don't know. That's just the way these guys seem like their mind is set up like that. I'll go ahead and dare to be great and fight this guy here. And if I lose, then I can go. That just seems like that's how things play out nowadays. Um, so that's an option there if you choose, if he wants to do that, both of those guys. T.O. is almost an a, a undisputed champ, so they'll play that out to be, you know, that type of fight card and, and whatnot, that type of event. And then as far as the Barrios tank, tank I don't even, like, we can just take Tank out of the equation because he's not in the willingness to step up and fight anybody of that caliber. You know, he hasn't shown willingness to fight any of the 135-pound guy, so I can't see him taking on a task like, take you know, a Josh Taylor. This wouldn't make sense just based on his background. But I can see Barrios. Barrios seems like he's willing to fight anybody of those type of guys. So if he does defeat Tank, that would be probably the next fight that we would see. But the things that I would want is – a Jose Ramirez rematch because that was a good fight, you know what I mean? And and you know, why not do it again? I mean, Ramirez has some belts, you know, and it was a good fight, so you know, I would like to see that again. Another thing that's not really on the radar that I would like to see if he's willing to if he decides to move up to 147. The other thing about Taylor, too, is that he's such a big 140 fighter, I don't know how long he's going to be able to make 140 pounds, so he may just be in a situation where he's just going to move up anyway. He did everything he wanted to do or needed to do at 140. And so that would be the logical next step is to move up. And if he does that, and if he wants to take a fight before he takes on a champion at 147, why not fight somebody like Mikey Garcia? That's a pretty big event. You know, I know the network situation you know, may be an issue, but, you know, seek out somebody like that. And I think that would be a really competitive, you know, good fight to see. But, you know, who knows? He has some options there. Um, but I think the most likely scenario, if Barrios is able to defeat Tank, that would be the fight that he would take next. All right, so next week we got the um, Mayweather fight card. And on that fight card, we got Gerald Swift Heard is making – his return back to the ring, and he's fighting Luis Arias. Um, what do you guys think about that matchup? Yeah, I don't have a whole lot on it, but uh, I'll just lay it out for you guys. Uh, Heard is 24-1, 16 knockouts, um, and Arias is 18-2 and two with nine knockouts. Now, for Heard, this is going to be his first fight since January 2020 when he beat Francisco Santana by unanimous decision. <laughs> His only loss up to this point was to Julian Williams in 2019. Uh, now, Arias, he last fought in in August 2019 when he lost to Luke Keeler. Before that, he fought Gay Rosado to a draw in 2018 and lost to Danny Jacobs uh, by unanimous decision in 2017. So, since 2017, Arias is 0-2-1. Is now, this fight is at middleweight. Um, but her her plans to stay at at uh, junior middleweight, and he wants to ultimately set himself up for a title shot, against Jamel Charlo. But he's also mentioned wanting the J Rod rematch. Um, Arias has said that he believes he's a championship fighter, but hasn't shown it yet. Uh, but honestly, you know, I did catch those Rosado and the Jacobs fights back when they happened, and unless there's been some kind of massive step up on his end that was happening. You know, during the pandemic, maybe he has a, a hyperbolic time chamber somewhere. I'm not sure. I I, I, I see what he sees. And so, um, you know, overall, I believe that uh, her should have a good showing here. 
and then possibly set himself up for uh, either a title eliminator and or the J-Rock rematch that may be one and the same, um, in which case, at that point, the Charlo fight might be more appealing because uh, back in March, Charlo didn't really express any interest in, in fighting her. He said that he was kind of you know low on his priority list. So we'll see what happens, but I think I think her should come in here and handle business. Did you guys have anything to uh, say about that one, or you want to move on? Um, only thing I'm gonna say is this: is that her is he's so big, you know what I mean? Like he's, I, you know, when we talk about guys being big for their weight, like he's probably the biggest guy at his weight class. You see him fight; he really looks like a 168 pound fighter who can make 154. So my biggest concern for him is what he's going to look like draining himself to make that weight. You know what I mean? Arias is a guy, when he was fighting Danny Jacobs, everybody used to say how good he looked inside the gym and that he was like one of those. um, You remember Andy Lee? They used to always talk about how Andy Lee looked in the gym, but sometimes it just didn't um, register and transfer into the actual fights a lot of the times. And so Arias back maybe like three or four years ago, that's that was the thing on him. And he was supposed to give Jacobs, you know, a pretty good run for his money, and he didn't. And then, like you said, he's coming off a loss. So I don't see it get any better. But my biggest concern for her is just coming down to 154. How long can you make that weight being such a big, big guy? But that's all I got. You got anything, Phil? No, no. Just looking forward to to Jared Hurd being more active and getting back into the 154 pound scene. And yeah, I, I agree with you, Will. He he a big boy. In the size wise, he reminds me of Chavez Jr. Uh, in a way, he's a big guy. It's crazy because like some guys who who are able to do that, and he's fighting a guy that like a kind of a journeyman. And so, you know, when dudes get down and wait like that a lot of times when they fighting somebody that they really can't get up for it's hard for them to make that weight but i guess he's been showing that discipline to be able to do it so shout out to him yeah we'll see what happens this one this one is going to be at 164 with his words but he does plan on moving back down but um so we'll see i mean he, he may get there and decide he liked that weight better um you know there's some fights to be made at that division as well so you know, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. But like you said, I'm looking forward to seeing how it shakes out. You know, it's, I'm, I'm looking forward to, you know, seeing him back in action in general. I'm, I'm going to say one last thing, though, uh, Danny. Now, if he decides, he say, you know what, I feel more comfortable at 160, it, it, it's going to be a wrap for him. <laughs> That's the only way he is, like, world class is because of his size he's just imposing size he was fighting laura that the size between the guys was just so enormous like it was just such a big gap in terms of the physical size now you see what j-rock did to him because j-rock is also a big 154 pound fighter and he wasn't able to just like impose his will on j-rock in the way j-rock fights on the inside he wants you to try to um do those type of things and he didn't have the skill level to match what J-Rock was doing. If he fights those, I'm telling you, like a Darius Chinko or anybody like that, oh, that's going to be a wrap. Like, he's not going to be able to do the same things at 160 as he's doing at 154. But that's the only thing I got. I don't want to like say just keep going over the same thing. Yeah, I do agree with that, though. Um, so I'm sure he'll make the right decision for his career. And, um, you know, if, if Charlo does clean out the division, that would be an intriguing match, you know. So hopefully he can make that weight and, you know, do his best for himself without, you know, draining himself. But um, it was recently announced that uh, Zerto Gilberto Ramirez is moving up to, from 168 to light heavyweight to fight uh, Sullivan Barrera, looking like July 9th. Uh, How do you guys see that one playing out? We got my man Zerto! (laughs) I got Zerto as, uh, like, 10 or 9 as far as like the top south pause in boxing as we speak, you know, currently right now. Zerto, Gilberto Zerto Ramirez, 29 years old, so he's in his prime, 6'2 and a half south pause, 75 inch reach, fighting against Sullivan Barrera, 6'2 orthodox fighter, 73 inch reach. Gilberto was 40, 
22 27 KOs. Barrera is 22-14 with three losses. Ramirez, he made his camp his first fight at 175 um, last December against Alfonso Lopez in a pretty good, exciting matchup um, that took place. And then Sullivan Barrera is coming off pretty much a two-year layoff. And his last fight he had was a loss against Hart, Jesse Hart, um, which was a pretty exciting uh, matchup as well. And it's hard to gauge like um, the fight that he had against Hart because Hart fights nothing like Gilberto Ramirez. So, you know, you can kind of throw that out the window if you're trying to like figure out how he's going to look against Zerto. But um, Barrera, he's another big guy for his weight. Like he's a he has a big frame. He comes from that Cuban farm or the Cuban boxing school. He's pretty accurate or very accurate, I might say. Um, but he always seems to come up short in big fights, with the exception of the victory that he had over Joe Smith. I want to say that was back in 2017. Ramirez, on the other hand, long, lanky. Um, he's also accurate, decent power. When he gets his guys out of there, it's more so of an accumulation of punches. Um, very good boxer, fun to watch. Uh, one drawback from him or for him is sometimes he looks kind of slow a little bit, but he's really fundamentally sound. And like I said, he's very fun to watch. The key to me in this fight is going to be a few things, and it's more so on Barrera's end. I'm looking when I think about him because he's 39 years old and he took a lot of punishment. I think what really kind of did him in is that Bibble fight. The, in that Bibble fight, he took a lot of punishment and that's the only time that he's been stopped in his career. But I'm talking about that was a brutal, brutal fight. And that showed me a lot about Bibble because Bibble all of the stuff that Barrera liked to do as far as the rough and tough and type of rumble tumble type thing, that was right up Bibble's alley. He was just sitting there just tagging him the right, left, just had showed a tremendous arsenal of punches. So again, how much tread is left on those tires? And he comes up short a lot of times. He reminds me like a lot of Cuban fighters are like that. Like they like when it comes to the big fights that they just don't aren't able to get over the hump. And I think about guys like Lar, I think about King Kong Ortiz. Like when they're at that certain level, it's just that they can't get over the hump. Now I don't know if this fight is that big where it would be the case for him. But um to me the likely scenario in this fight, based on Barrera being all two years, the damage that he sustained, especially against Bivol, the fact that he's 39 years old, I would have to say that I'll definitely lean towards Zerto. Mm -hmm. And I think that it would be a pretty lopsided 12-round decision on mm -hmm. um, for Gilberto Zerto Ramirez. Mm -hmm. All right, our last topic of the day. We have uh, a fight that's supposed to take place next week. And you have John Pascal is set to fight against Badu Jack. But Badu Jack was saying that and this, this would be a rematch. And then in, in a fight that they had previously, it was a close fight. It ended in a draw. And Jack was making claims that Pascal may have been on PEDs. Come to find out. Just this week, he tested positive for three different banned substances, substances including steroids. Um, you guys have any thoughts on Pascal, you know, testing positive? Oh, man. <laughs> now, we all we all know about uh, Jean Pascal. He has he had some good fights with uh, Carl Frock and uh, uh, Bernard Hopkins and Kovalev. And he's pretty much been around. He's about. But 38, 39 years old, um, he's an older fighter. And I'm going to start off saying that, you know, I, I've always been a fan of Jean Pascal. You know, I follow him on social media. You know, he's a positive guy, uh, uplifting guy, you know, takes care of his, his family. I think he has a daughter. 
so he all I always been a, a fan of his to an extent. Uh, but a few things about this just disgust me, you know, and and I say this as a Jean Pascal fan, you know, uh, he's t- he tested positive for a three band substance. I, I'm not going to pronounce them. I, I, let's just say they got if they got ball or a null or anything like that in the, in the title, which they all do. It's it's a steroid, you know. Um, and what what makes me more upsetting is he did accuse. I remember there was a time he accused Bernard Hopkins of being on PEDs. So don't accuse someone else of being on PEDs. And then when you get up there in age, go do them yourself. Out of man, maybe he was doing some some steroids. I'm gonna do it too, you know. Um, now he did fire his strength and conditioning coach, and and he's trying to blame that guy. But at the end of the day. It's the fighter's responsibility to know what's uh, getting put in your body. And if you haven't looked, just look up the drugs that he tested positive for. I'm not going to pronounce it. And, just, and I would say just Google it and see exactly what they do. And you make that decision for yourself uh, of what he was trying to do. It's kind of sad. I feel bad for Badu Jack because Badu Jack is also a, a aging fighter. He's getting up there. He, he might not have a lot of big fights left in him. And he, he always been that guy who was underrated, who had – some losses that people where people wrote him off and he was the underdog in about three back-to-back fights where he was just winning, you know? So, um, and plus Jack is, is he, as a light heavyweight, he's, he's, he's at a point where he's going to end up in probably one of the most in a, in a competitive weight class as an aging fighter where he may not have uh, everything needed to, to, to be successful right now. And this is one of his last good fights he could probably get that that where he's gonna you know pretty much win because I will favor Badu Jack in this fight with Sean Pascal, but he's looking for a replacement. Uh, I feel bad for him. Again, Sean Pascal, I'm just you know I'm I'm let down as a as a fan you know that that he would go there because this is it's not just like tainted meat or. Uh, uh, something to drain his weight or anything like that. It's not like it's just one steroid. This is three steroids that he tested positive for. And it's just, I don't know. Um, I don't know. And, and you know what? I'll, I'll even shout out Donnie Moore because he's one of the few fighters that's that signed up for all year round VADA testing. All year round. Not just when a fight's being announced, but all year round where he gets tested constantly. Yeah. So, um I don't have too much more to say about it. Um, I just hope Badu uh, Jack finds a replacement opponent and uh, rebounds from this. Can I say a few things? Yeah. The only thing I want to say, man, like, it's one thing to test positive for PEDs, but three, my G? Like, three? The Juice Man. Yes, OJ. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> OJ, the Juice Man, for real. You know, half a brick, quarter brick. Hey, you know what I'm saying? Like, this is crazy. And Juice Pascal. Juice Pascal. Now, again, like you say, he probably is thinking that, you know, these other dudes are doing it. You know, Hopkins, you know, because he, he was adamant about Hopkins being on the juice. And then Kovalev, we know Kovalev tested positive, you know, for being on the juice. They finally, you know, caught up to him. But another thing that I do want to mention, two other things that I want to mention, is I feel bad for guys like Marcus Brown, right? So they just called him now. I don't know. It could have been the case where, you know, somebody who is up to those type of tricks that they just caught him at that time, you know, and like now they caught him. But what about the other fights that he may have potentially been on the juice? And it appeared to me, because he was strong as I don't know what against Marcus Brown. So, and for Marcus Brown to be taking those shots, that that, that kind of, like, can be something that affects your career, you know, as long as you box the type of brutal beatdown that Pascal gave Marcus Brown. So if he was on it then, I feel bad for those guys as well. Last thing I'm going to say, not only shout out to Nonito Donaire, but I don't think Floyd Mayweather gets enough credit for being adamant about guys taking you know enhanced drug testing to make sure that they don't have things in their system but that's something that they're gonna have to do continue to do moving forward not just big fights you know these big cards and stuff like that but throughout any fight card that they gotta up the drug testing because 
that's ridiculous for somebody to test positive for that many um, performance enhancing drugs. But, you know, we'll see how things play out moving forward. Badu Jack, you know, like you say, hopefully he'll be able to fight an opponent and um, still be able, be able to be on the fight card next week. Anything else you guys have uh, for um, that you want to discuss? I'm sorry. Yeah, I got one more thing. Uh, Shouts out to uh, Gary Antoine Russell. I believe it's Antoine. I, I don't want to get him, his name mixed up, but uh, he had a great fight at 140. Um, and he's looking to him for calling Adrian Broner out. It was kind of like an indirect call out. <laughs> it's kind of inter- entertaining and be funny. It's funny. Um, matter of fact, I should. He, his nickname should be the Valedictorian. Call him Gary the Valedictorian Russell. That would differentiate him from his brothers. Uh, smart guy, bright guy. You know, uh, very tough volume puncher. Um, he, he beat uh, Jerron Ennis in the amateurs. You know, he didn't quite uh, get the gold, but he always had a bright future. Um, and I look forward to him. He seemed like he wants to take some tough fights at 140. So we'll see what happens from here. Yeah, I just want to say this. You know, sometimes, you know, from week to week, things happen. So, you know, um, in the future, we'll try to make sure that we – you know, stay on our same routine of, you know, um, having these broadcast on Mondays. Uh, we apologize for not being able to broadcast last week. And I think it was a couple of weeks before that, that we didn't have, you know, a podcast, but we're going to try to do our best moving forward to make sure we get our information out there to you. Um, but on that note, you all have a great Monday and we'll definitely catch you next week. Peace. Peace. Peace.